the homily for the feast day of the circumcision. My dear friends, today we celebrate not the arrival of the new year, although we can certainly christen this celebration by uniting it to our Catholic holidays, but no, we rather celebrate the feast of the circumcision of our Lord, which falls also in the octave of Christmas. On this feast, there are many things to consider, but we will use this opportunity to speak first of matters that pertain our faith, and second, of matters that pertain our spiritual growth. When it comes to the teachings of our faith, today we see our Lord Jesus Christ submitting himself to the painful rite of circumcision. Now, to those who might not know, circumcision was, to the Jewish people back then, a little bit like what, what baptism is for us. Baptism, of course, is much greater. Circumcision did not give all the great things that baptism gives. But still, it was the religious ceremony by which one would enter into the chosen people of God. So when you were a parent back then, at the eight days of the, of the birth of the child, you would bring him to be circumcised, and then he would become an Israelite, a child of Abraham, and an heir of the promises of the Messiah, of the promises of God. There is a big difference, though, between, but there are many, but one of the big differences between baptism and circumcision is that baptism, our baptism, is easy, is painless. Circumcision was, on the other hand, a very painful ceremony. A cut was made without any alleviation into a very sensitive part of the baby's body. For this cut, as I've said in another sermon, most of the times, a sharp rock would be used, whether by the parent, by the father, or by another person that was appointed for that. And so when we think of this then, this cut that was made in the baby Jesus' body, this today marks the first suffering, the first shedding of blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, my friends, to better appreciate this, I would like to review one of the dogmas of our faith. Jesus Christ is both God and man. That is to say, Jesus Christ had a human nature, and he also had the divine nature, but both existed in him as in one person. Now allow me to explain this a little bit more. When we say nature here, I mean to say what a person is, what you are, or what something is. For example, you might be John Doe over there sitting in the pews. Well, what is your nature? What are you? You would say to me, I'm a human. Well, that is your nature. You are a human. If you have a little puppy, well, the nature of that puppy is to be a dog. If, you had, if there was an angel, or we think of an angel right now, well, that angel, his nature is to be an angel. So, your nature is what you are. Now, every single creature that exists has one person and one nature. There is no one who has two natures but our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one where there is one person, only one, but there are two natures, the nature of God and the nature of men. 
Now, as God, he is the divine word. He is God the Son. He existed from all eternity. He is infinite. He is almighty. He has all the attributes of God. As man, he is Jesus Christ. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He could suffer. He could grow. He died for us on the cross. He had all the infirmities and all the weaknesses of men, at least the ones that come with their nature. But his humanity was from the very beginning united to his divinity. Now, my dear friends, this might be getting very theological, but how does this help us appreciate all that Jesus Christ has done for us? Well, it helps us in this way. Since Jesus Christ was both God and man, all the things that Jesus Christ did as a human can be attributed to him as God. In this way, I wonder if you have ever considered this. We can actually truly say that God suffered cold in his human nature. We can say in all truth that God was hungry in his human nature. We can say in all truth that God suffered poverty from his very birth in his human nature. And we can truly say that God shed his blood today in his human nature for you. So the next time you think of God as of someone that doesn't know what it's like to suffer, think again. It is true that God cannot suffer in his divine nature. He cannot suffer as God. But after the birth of our Lord, the second person of the Holy Trinity, God the Son, has a human nature and therefore knows full well what it's like to suffer. He knows it in his own body. And to bring, to bring us to another beautiful point of this consideration, with all these things, we can also truly say that God was born of the Virgin Mary in his human nature. My dear friends, this feast day today, uh, the Church would celebrate in the past as a feast day of the Virgin Mary and of our Lord. It was sort of a combined feast day, and the liturgy has some traces of it, because in some of the prayers, some of the texts of today's Mass, we see rather a praise of our Blessed Mother. It's very much aimed at our Blessed Mother, because she was, today's, today was a feast day for her in the past. And so it is fitting for us also to consider our Blessed Mother. And this is the great thing about her, that because of what I just said, we can say in all truth that the Virgin Mary gave birth to God in his human nature. And that's why we call her the Mother of God, because God was born of her. If you consider this, that the Virgin Mary is truly the Mother of God, that she gave birth to the human nature of God, that she breastfed God, that she took care of God, that she carried God in her arms, that she protected God, it becomes evident how contrary to the glory of God, how contrary to piety and devotion it is for those Protestants to refuse to give honor to the Mother of God. 
Because when they deny the honor and praise to the mother of God implicitly, they fall into an even bigger heresy. Because they say this woman is not worthy of honor by that mere, by that mere act. They divide the natures of Christ. They don't give honor to the human nature of Christ united to the divine nature. They might not say it with their actions, but in practice that's what they're doing. They're saying she's not worthy of honor. She's not the mother of God. And by saying that, they are dividing the natures of Christ. They're saying there are two persons. They are saying basically Jesus is not God. For us, on the contrary, who are in the light of truth, we know that Jesus Christ is truly God and that Jesus Christ is truly the Son of Mary and that therefore the Virgin Mary is truly the Mother of God and for that reason alone, if there was nothing else, for that reason alone, she deserves all our praise, all our veneration, all the honor that we can give her. Now, my dear friends, to come to the practical and the moral part of our sermon today. Now, we in ourselves, we only have one, hum one nature, the human one. But we also resemble our Lord Jesus Christ, at least a little, because in our human nature, we do have two different parts, you could say, the spiritual one, which is our soul, and the material one, which is our body. My dear friends, our Lord Jesus Christ had two natures, but the human nature was always subject to the divinity. Whatever the divinity wanted, that's what the human nature did. The human body and soul of our Lord Jesus Christ were, you could say, docile instruments of his divine nature to work for the glory of God. Now, I don't mean to say that our Lord didn't have a reason or didn't have understanding or even that he didn't have a will. He had a, a human will as well. But no, they were so docile to God that our Lord Jesus Christ, his human nature was, as I said, almost just an instrument of the divine nature. And in the same way, my dear friends, in ourselves, our bodies should be instruments of our souls. Meaning my body should be subject, it should be obedient, it should be a slave of my soul. And everything in my life should be aimed at the benefit of my soul. My material part should be subject to my spiritual part. And so the priorities in my life should all be spiritual, not temporal. We take care of the temporal, of course. But it's always with submission. With submission to the spiritual part. This becomes more relevant today as we begin the new year, according to society. And we hear a lot about making resolutions, you know, and people make resolutions to lose weight. People make resolutions to gain more money, to get a better job, to find a husband or a wife or who knows what else. We might have a few resolutions of our own and that's good, but we should make our priority in the resolutions, the spiritual side. What am I going to do to save my soul in this year? What am I going to do to get away from sin in this year? What am I going to do to love God more, to get rid of occasions of sin, to increase in virtue? 
My dear friends, let me give you an example. What will it be if all your concern is in the things of this material life? Imagine, for, a, for example, a person that rents a house. You know, you have this wife and her husband, and they both rent an Airbnb in this town that they went to. They're going to get the house for three days, and it's pretty expensive. But it's just three days. And let's say that the wife comes into the house, and the husband comes into the house, and then the wife picks up the phone and starts realizing, oh, <coughs> I want to buy this couch for this house. It's beautiful. Couch is going to be like $500, but it's going to be worth it. Hey, you know what? Look at the yard. We're going to buy this, this nice garden for the yard, and we're going to put all these rocks in here. We're going to buy a pool for the yard. And you know what? We should get a new flooring. So we're going to call the flooring guys for them to come. The husband would be like, well, what are you doing? You're spending thousands of dollars. We're going to spend three days in this house. You're, the husband would say to her, and I'm sorry if I'm putting the example with the wife and the husband, but that kind of uh, illustrates the point. The husband would say to her, you're crazy. We're only going to be here for a couple days. Why don't you spend all that time and effort and money in the house we're actually going to live at? Don't spend that money here. My friends, that's us. We're worrying about this Airbnb of our bodies, of our houses, of our lives here on this earth. We're worrying about this hotel where we're living only for a few hours instead of worrying about that eternal house where we will live forever. Don't spend your money here. Don't spend your time, your effort here. At least not that much. Spend most of it. Prioritize there where you're going to live for all eternity. So yes, as the year begins, do make resolutions. But make resolutions that are more spiritual. I'd like to suggest one for you. This is a resolution that will allow you to keep all the other resolutions. As you begin your year, make it a point to make daily an examination of conscience. What do I mean by that? Every night before you go to bed, take three or four minutes for yourself and do a review of your day. Review four things. What sins did you commit, if any? What resolutions did you have that you didn't keep? Or how did you keep them? The third one, be sorry for those sins that you have committed and impose to yourself a little sacrifice, a little penance for each one of them. And the fourth thing, make a resolution for tomorrow and for the following days to improve in these things. Some saints would add a fifth, which would be give thanks. Give thanks to God for the things that you have enjoyed. I could suggest that you would give the thanks in the morning when you say your morning prayers. But the four, the first four that I mentioned are, cru are crucial. If you do this examination of conscience daily, before you go to bed, if you examine yourself on these things, you will find great advantages for yourself. First, you will back, get back on your feet immediately when you have the misfortune of falling into sin. Many times it happens that we fall into sin and we lose hope and we lose courage. <coughs> and after that, 
we continue to fall into sin over and over again. We basically said to ourselves, well, I'm a sinner already, I'm down on the dumps, might as well continue getting myself more and more deeper, in, or rather deeper into the mud, you know, dwelling in the mire and allowing ourselves to sin more and more. But no, we shouldn't do that. If you do your examination of consciences each night, each night, as you realize that you have sinned, you will repent. And each night, you will get back on your feet. You will make an act of perfect contrition. And you will say to yourself, tomorrow, I will consider myself that I have obtained the mercy of God. And I will try to be better and I will try not to sin anymore. Of course, I will still go to confession. But I'm already in the hopes of having gotten back into my, in, on my feet. That's the first advantage. The other advantage is, among many, that you will find yourself able to improve in your daily and your personal life, not only spiritually, but also materially. But what's even more important, you will start seeing your spiritual life as what it should be, a positive approach to obtain more and more graces, a process by which you become wealthier and wealthier, healthier and healthier, better and better, good and better. Instead of just being in a sort of survival mode spiritually, where you're just hoping to make it to heaven halfway alive, or at least make it to purgatory, without ever thinking of growing, of attaining more in the spiritual realm. So these are some of the advantages that you can get of this beautiful practice, which is very, very much recommended by the saints to make an examination of conscience, not just before you go to confession, but to make it every night. And some would even say to record it in writing. That would be done in a discreet manner so that no one else knows what you're writing, what it means. But the point is to keep track on your spiritual life. My dear friends, from today, remember then, first of all, that we can say that God did all these things for us. That God was born, that God suffered in his circumcision, that God suffered the cold in the manger, that God was born of the Virgin Mary. And since God has done all these things for us, let's try to correspond to his love by making good resolutions today spiritual resolutions, but particularly this, to make a good examination of conscience every night. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.